Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, a podcast where we dig you out of your backlog before it bores you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Tarzan and Hercules to my Alice. I'm Jared. And I'm Matt. And I'm not even going to try to go to do that, that what do you call it, the Yodel Tarzan call for you? I don't want to hurt Why anyone. do you get to be Alice? Yeah. <laughs> I guess Hercules is okay. So, as you can probably tell by that, today we're going to be covering the first batch of Disney Worlds in Kingdom Hearts, which is Wonderland, Deep Jungle, and Olympus Coliseum. And we'll get to those in just a second, but first, we got a really bad minigame to play. Oh, gosh, gummy ships. Uh, I wouldn't yeah, say I know. Kingdom Hearts 1 Gunny Ship is really bad. It's just kind of aggressively mediocre. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, let me lay it out. Let me just lay it out in detail. What you got is you got this really primary colored looking building block thing. I don't know why I went with Gummy. I would have gone with Lego. And you put these ships together and you fly through this rather interminably long little Star Fox stage, only nowhere near as well programmed. And you're just kind of shooting wildly at everything there and hoping you last long at the theater world and that I mean, happens so every time you travel until you get the warp drive the problem is like what you just described could be a cool thing in fact kingdom hearts 2 and 3 prove that it could could have been a cool thing because it makes it a cool thing yeah but we're not there yet so kingdom hearts 1 will give you blueprints for various ships to try and ease the fact that the actual ship editor is the most cumbersome thing i've ever tried to manipulate in with a controller move one but, piece move in two dimensions use a third button to move up and down to third dimension whoops you did it wrong but now you've accidentally x'd out yep you never have the pieces you need to be able to construct those blueprints like i've never <laughs> been able to get it to work all i ever do is whenever i get a new gun I slap it on the gummy ship and just make it so that I can spray as many bullets as possible to make it as easy as I can to get through places. And then I use the warp drive so that I never have to do that again. I think the gummy ship is a prime example of a game design plague that I think everybody so, knows in, in every kind of medium, but it's especially obvious in games, which we call scope bloat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, like, I, I do want to know what the mentality was for creating the gummy ship as a mini game for traversing between worlds. Many people certainly know about Ventures of the Gummy Bears, but that's definitely nothing connected to this. Yeah. The basic world of Kingdom Hearts says all the Disney worlds are sort of separated by space. And space is not exactly like our space. It's more like a space in between hearts or something like that. They kind of equate space with a void of darkness. Which was kind of represented by a muted tie-dye swirl in which random blocks and things appear. Yeah. I can understand, instead of just having a place and go to a place to do things, having a little mini game to go in between them. I can sort of understand the rationale for that, but I do not know why it turned out the way it did. This first iteration of it is not very fun. I mean, your your ship takes up over a third of your viewpoints, which is blocking everything. When you're steering, your shots overcorrect massively uh, to both in all four directions, so you're always just kind of shooting wild over screen. I guess kind of would just randomly shift the stick around and just fire wildly and hope I hit well, like, it. I forget what button you can hold, but you can actually like lock your cursor on the middle of the screen and so that you can move your ship around while aiming at the same target the whole time. It's... Not explained well. <laughs> yeah, in Kingdom Hearts 1, it's very like a poor imitation of Star Fox. And then in Kingdom Hearts 2, they figure out, oh, it should be like Panzer Dragoon instead. And then that that's like the key. <laughs> like Kingdom Hearts 3 is a far way away, but I actually think the gummy ship in Kingdom Hearts 3 is one of the coolest things I've ever played. So, <laughs> Oh, it's uh, extremely yeah, cool. I, yeah. yeah, you'll, you'll I've get, yet to, see get it to this Jared. one. Yeah, not to hype you up or anything, but I do think it is pretty <laughs> damn awesome. When you start off from Traverse Town, you have two paths that you can go on. You can either go up to Wonderland or you can go down to the Olympus Coliseum. And it tells they you, give you 
Well, I was going to say, you're about to say the difficulty. I'm never sure how fully I agree with that. I guess they're implying <laughs> that's what the level cap is. I don't actually know if the difficulty stars actually mean anything. The difficulty stars are trying to explain to you, hey, maybe consider going in this order. And so the, going by stars, Wonderland has one star and Olympus Coliseum has two stars. So which world do you think you should go to first? <laughs> Most people well, would I mean, say Wonderland. And I'd say with hindsight, I want to get there and get out of there fast. So Yeah, but that's why I go to Olympus Coliseum first. <laughs> of course. Uh, but there's a reason for that. The first three worlds give you new spells when you clear them. I believe you get Blizzard from Wonderland, Cure from Deep Jungle, and Thunder from Olympus Coliseum. Thunder, as it turns out, is the best spell in the game. I can't make it work for me. Maybe I just don't have good sense for how the spells work. So, I tend to just blast things with sure. fire if I'm using magic. <laughs> so Thunder will bake a big AoE around wherever you're targeting, especially in Proud Mode where there's just swarms of enemies all over the place. Being able to thunder, thunder, thunder over and over again on a cluster of shadows is one of the best things you can do. Your health is not very plentiful and you take a lot of damage from those things. Fire is better for single targets, but yeah. uh, a thunder is better for AoE, and Blizzard just blows. Blizzard only works if you're hitting someone who's weak to ice. That's probably the only yeah. time it's worthwhile. Sometimes uh, you get a cluster right in front of you. There's some yeah. use because it does well, that spread shot, but there's so yeah. much gap between it. Yeah, Blizzard is sort of like a shotgun where you have to be close to use it, and it's a little bit of a spray. I mean, much like a shotgun, if you're not in the exact right position, either close or far, you're wasting it. You do it too close, I think the hits kind of overlap, and I think you get like some invincibility frames screwed up, possibly. There aren't invincibility frames in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, so maybe maybe I'll just maybe it's just overkilling. I almost never use Blizzard, so <laughs> if you use it up close, one guy takes all the hits, and if you overkill him, that means you wasted the rest of the spell. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're up close, why aren't you just swinging your Keyblade? <laughs> well, definitely that is, my main, that is my main hit. Yeah, Deep Jungle gives you Cure, which is the other best spell in the game. But we will get to that right. when we get to Deep Jungle. Well, deep but, Jungle, so, you have to go through one of the air ones first anyway, yep. so it's not part of this opening decision. Well, normally on Proud Mode, what I do is I go to Olympus Coliseum first to get Thunder uh, and then go back and do Wonderland because Thunder is amazing in Wonderland. We're just going to start by talking about Wonderland. Might as well follow the clearly desired plot yeah. flow for you know, plot in parentheses, I'll say. Yeah. You know, as much as I have Kingdom Hearts, the Disney worlds are always the least yeah. plotty parts of them. Yeah. So Wonderland is kind of disappointing in this game to me simply because I actually really like Disney's take on Alice in Wonderland, mm -hmm. but I mean, I they don't, don't really do enough with it. In oh, this they game. don't. They really don't. I don't have the I don't have the strongest memory of that movie. I know I've seen it, but a lot of gaps there. But I kind of absorbed a lot of it there. And yeah, Alice in Wonderland was one of their earlier movies, as I recall. They were really proud of their effects, allowing things like the swarms of cards. I think they call it. I can't remember what type of animation was. Basically, allowed them to do a whole lot of creatures at once. Mm -hmm. And just because and you got Cheshire all cat. these wild worlds, you got the Cheshire Cat, you got all the other characters, the Caterpillar, Tweedledee, and Dumb, all of that. And in the Wonderland world, they cut it to a fraction of that and do almost nothing with it. Wonderland is what I, is the first of what I'm going to call chaos mazes. Did you, did you make that term yourself or did you pick it up somewhere? I have no idea where I picked it up or if I came up with it myself, but it's the most appropriate term for a certain type of level design in Kingdom Hearts. It might it's be a TV it, Tropes were, uh, article name. I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe it is. So basically with Wonderland, you start by... For those familiar with it, you fall down the mysterious hole, so you just kind of see this sort of swoop down a bunch of random objects, and you land in these twisted hallway. Well, what I'm going to call annoyingly cheerful oompa music starts playing immediately. Mm -hmm. And just because Wonderland how, has yeah. one set, you'll never stop hearing that music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have a cameo by the Cheshire Cat in this, but how can you do Alice in Wonderland without the Mad Hatter? I just don't 
I oh, don't gosh. understand. <laughs> get ahead of yourself, but the first cameo is we get the white rabbit. Of course, that mm-hmm. that little uh-huh. bastard runs by right, complaining about his bad time management. Yep. You, well, I that mean, that's always yeah. You get a Cliff Notes version of the Alice in Wonderland story told through some very bad level design. Yeah, <laughs> you, you follow the rabbit, you go through the hallway, and immediately you're fighting new types of shadows. Yeah. Uh, there's basically there's one type that we skip from Traverse Town, and that would be the uh, the fat body, large body. I yeah. think it's called. Ah, right. Okay. Large body. Well, basically, uh, they're, fat, they're fat bastards. They're, they look like big versions of the soldiers. They have these really large breastplates on. Their head is very tiny on top of a round body with big, thick arms and legs. They, they basically are animated with a very doofy look. They're scratching their heads. They're confused. The problem with these guys is they're invincible from the front. Yeah, uh, they don't yeah. attack that much, but when they do, they hurt. But, yeah. yeah, the way you fight them is either by jumping up and attacking them on the head or finding a way to dodge roll around them and getting from behind. They but turn around they really fast, fast though. Char- yeah, and they get angry, and they have a, uh, they do like a belly charge. It can be really miserable. And then they, once you get down part to health, they, they go into berserk mode, and they're just chasing you. Is Wonderland also the world where they introduce the various spellcaster heartless that we face? I call them the magic bells, and I think you at least get the red and blues. Mm-hmm. And these, I can't. I have hard time remembering these guys' names. You look them up; they're all music terms, like Red yeah. Nocturne, Red Nocturne, Red Nocturne, Blue Rhapsody, and then in later worlds, we also get Yellow Opera and Green Requiem. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're basically shaped like little bell guys with their heads cracked up there, and they have they have tiny chicken feet underneath. They float around, they shake, and they cast spells of their colored elements. Yep, it's kind uh, of Final Fantasy ish because yeah. they look a little bit like black mages to me. Yep, mm-hmm. they make me also think of flans because they're there to remind you how elemental weaknesses work. Or you just hit them with your sword. <laughs> <laughs> Always hit. It, there's very few times hitting with magic key sword is never a good choice. But, I feel that's almost a mission statement for the game. Yeah, I mean, all things to be solved with key sword. <laughs> yeah, frankly, for an action RPG, that's usually how you want to design the game. Most solutions should be use sword on object. Even though it's an action RPG, you have your little menu selecting from, so I see. Mm -hmm. At this point, you should already be starting to use your quick menu for any spells that you want to use quickly, so you don't have to key down to the magic menu and select Mm -hmm. the spell. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts is kind of a very no-frills action RPG in terms mm -hmm. of gameplay so far. They start adding more and more with subsequent games, but they kind of use the side games, the portable games in order to test out what works and what doesn't in their battle systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most of the encounters that you get into in Wonderland are like just swarms of a lot of little guys, maybe with one big guy showing up every now and then. And they tend to come in waves, so you find. Yeah. And and and, and one, here's one thing that frustrates me most about King Hearts One: you can't interact with any object if there's enemies on the screen. Mm-hmm. You can't open treasure chests. You can't like try to click on something just in between to rush it there. You all use options that are completely sealed and replaced with attack. And since these enemies can just keep coming, you can find yourself feeling really stuck. Mm-hmm. So after you go through the uh, tunnels, next you find yourself in what they call the bizarre room, kind of the set piece. If anyone remembers Wonderland, I only remember bits of it. The big thing in it is the talking doorknob yep and, <laughs> and that was you mean actual doorknob and not just a jerk so yeah the bizarre room is a room that you're going to keep coming back to in this world which is <sighs> what which is what makes it feel so chaos mazy in this particular case like not only is this room like the big set piece room of the world there are different doors that you can go into that will change the gravity in the room so you're gonna so you go in through one door and you'll be on the wall you go in through one door you'll be on the ceiling you have to remember which door is which if you want to actually solve all the weird little puzzles that are in this stupid room Uh, i think there's two things that kind of defined a chaos mage that we didn't quite talk about that wonderland definitely has in spades and one is the idea that the textures 
do not assist in identifying where you are yeah. very much. They, you know, you kind of have the busy, nasty to look at textures on the walls and on the floors and stuff like that. Yeah. And also just the fact that it's kind of labyrinthine because it's hard to get the visual cues to understand which door goes where. Yeah. Wonderland is basically a series of boxes. I mean, that's true of a lot of video games there, but Wonderland is so blatant that it's what Skybox has literally painted on the wall and you can brush against it. And the other thing that Chaos Maze is that the exits don't feel geographically connected. Especially, like, when you go through the main exit from the Bizarre Room, you come out into this little field that is supposed to be the Queen of Hearts throne area? Is that what it is? Judge yeah, room, so. her, what, I don't like, know, her, her golf a, course or golf cart. I don't know. It is really unclear. It's very small and it doesn't give a good feeling of what it's actually trying to be. It's got some topiary, like a topiary arch, a couple things of like that. So maybe it's her garden. You got this archway. You got some cards standing around. You got the queen of hearts in this throne in the middle of the empty room. And then you got a birdcage with a girl in it. Well, um, isn't Alice not in the birdcage yet? When you first walk in, she's on the stand. Oh, right. Yeah. So this is actually a courtroom where we just put the stand and a, thr- and a throne up there and nothing yep. else. Yep. It is an extremely bizarre decision. For, so the entire part of the Alice in Wonderland story that we're going to be covering is Alice is being accused of stealing the Queen's tarts. Basically, what we're, we're following is, is this the part where the Queen of Hearts goes after Alice? I forget yes. how Disney does it. Other versions is Alice gets herself involved with the Queen randomly sentencing other people to death. But I don't remember. Do you, Matt, do you remember how Disney has this part done? I, I think it's similar, like where she sees the queen sentencing other people to death. And because she complains about that, the queen says, oh, she stole the tarts or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Alice is pretty confusing for adaptation because people tend to take there were two books, Alice in Wonderland and Alice in the Looking Glass. And people tend to smash characters together. The queen mm-hmm. of Hearts, the Red Queen. Yeah, the different adaptations also pick very different things to focus on. But anyways, in this version, the queen specifically said someone attacked her and tried to take her heart. Mm. And of course, so she looks at the girl in the Victorian style blue and white game dress or whatever material it is. And that's clearly the, the culprit. Yep. But she says it's because she says so. Sora, Donald and Goofy decide, no, we're going to try and prove her innocent. We know I what guess. heartless are. I guess. that Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We think it might be heartless. There's heart- We've seen some heartless already. Let's go prove it's the heartless. And mm-hmm. the queen's like, sure. Now you're awesome on trial as well, so good luck, bastards. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Queen yeah. of Hearts is a crazed autocrat who randomly sends people to death. So as I recall in the original story, her husband was always commuting sentences behind her back. But that mm-hmm. guy didn't appear in this version, so we're, we're, we're in deep, deep water. Oh, no. Yep. So the next room from the uh, Queen's throne room, court, whatever, is the forest. And uh, the, the forest has a bunch of exits, multiple of which go to the bizarre room in different places. Some early... Not terrible platforming, but still not great platforming. <laughs> Some unclear puzzles involving Charlie turning giant for a second yep. and plants you have to give items to yep. to progress. Yep. And That's you're probably part. item lean right now. Yep. There's no shop on Wonderland. You have to go back to Traverse Town if you want to buy any new items. Or you can grind enemies for drops and cross your fingers. <laughs> yep. It is pretty annoying. It's either you use a potion and you actually get to progress or you use another item and you get a slightly better item and you don't know which is which until you do it. <laughs> and so now, so as soon as you get there, the Cheshire Cat appears, but basically the last NPC to appear from Alice in Wonderland besides the Queen and Alice and the cards. Mm. And he just, you know, he's just there to be a dick. Yep. To tell you that you're, you need, you're searching for something and there's like, I want to say four piece items out there. You probably only need three, but if you get four, you get something special. Bye mm. now. 
But that's kind of what the treasure cat does. He's a cryptic dick, right? So yeah, but he's not implemented well here. Like, no, he's we don't not. Even, he, we don't get any voice acting from him or anything. He, we don't get to see like particularly cool uh, visual versions of his shtick. I wish they would have done more with the Cheshire Cat because the Cheshire Cat is a really fun character when done mm-hmm. well in in Alice adaptations. Well, but they did not handle him well in this well, little microcosm in Kingdom Hearts. And I think part of the thing is that they only had so much time and money to make every Disney World, and Alice in Wonderland was one of the less. I think it got the short story. shaft. Yeah, it gets it gets the short shaft. Those like, boxes I described, Wonderland is the only world they have that completely. No other world is quite as clearly just a little playroom with with paint on the wall like Wonderland is. Well, you can see as the series goes on that they get a lot more ambitious with what they do with the Disney worlds that they're yeah. doing. I heard, I heard you hesitate, John. What's coming to mind? Um, I think Monstro might be a bit worse about the boxing design, but... it's I, Well, not to go too deep into it, that's for a later episode, but while I think Monstro is a worse implemented level, it's still not quite as... I still don't think it's quite as cheap looking to the same extreme degree. Okay, that's fair. It at least has yeah. a little more too. I mean, I we can we can talk about that later. But I will say, I think Wonderland looks the cheapest. Like they had the least money, the least time, the least modeling time on it. So they really just painted a bunch of stuff on the wall. Well, I think the, the place that's the absolute worst for that is when you get to the Mad Hatter's uh, Tea Garden. Oh yeah, what a is, disappointment there. Oh my Mad gosh. Hatter's just a, a great character, and he's not there. He's gone. Literally, the only even allusion that they make to the characters of the Mad Hatter and the Spring Hare is if you read March Hare. Si- March Hare, is that it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mad Hatter, March Hare, and Dormouse. Got it. The only allusion you got to them in the in that room is if you read one of the signs that says, A Very Merry Unbirthday. That's it. That, it's a, a table <laughs> so is set, you know and that there's song no characters stuck in there. In your head now. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. And basically, um, you're still just, you're, you're finding the evidence. Remember, it's like footprints, stench. Like you found stench in a box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All this stuff is in boxes and, because shrug. <laughs> And I think what you find all four pieces doesn't it automatically give you Blizzard early. Maybe. It, I know you get it before, and I think it's like early Blizzard. Otherwise, you get mm-hmm. it later in the fight there. Mm-hmm. And again, like Blizzard, Blizzard's the shotgun. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so to make a little bit of a long rubbing against trees as you jump against some story short, you find all the pieces or as many pieces you want to, and you go back to the queen. And again, what happens next is in character, but I think it's kind of frustrating from a gameplay standpoint. The queen's like, I can't look at all this evidence. I'm going to throw all this evidence in one piece in five separate boxes, and then you're going to choose one at random. Basically, what will happen is once you choose one, you get either a silhouette of a heartless shadow mm-hmm. or Donald and Goofy. I love the evidence they left behind on this spot. Yep. But either way, Mr. regardless Ash? of what you get in the box, you still have to fight the entire Queen of Hearts army. Yeah, it's like, she's like either she accuses you or she says she doesn't care and she still attacks you. You have to beat up a tower while a bunch of cards that you can only knock them down and they eventually get up again. Sarah keeps swiping at you. Yep, that fight's really annoying. I don't like it. <laughs> now Alice was in the birdcage. I think she was put in once yep. she went out to get evidence. Yep. And then you go out and you say, fine, a, a curtain's put in front of her. Once you find out the cards, cage opens and Alice is gone. Yep, Alice is and completely missing and that is the last we see of her for quite some time. And world over. Not yet. We still have one oh, more fight. Oh, yes. Story over. Trickmaster. Yeah, but yeah, before we can actually oh. leave Wonderland, we have to fight Trickmaster. I think I was trying to skip past him, possibly. Trickmaster is the second big Heartless boss. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Darkseid a pass because he kind of keeps appearing after, after uh, the guard armor. And Trickmaster is one of my least favorite bosses. So, well, How would you describe Trickmaster? 
Trickmaster is sort of like, what are those toys you make by folding strips of paper over and over again into a spring shape? I don't know if they have a special name. I don't know what they're called, but I do know know exactly what you're talking about. We used Basically, to do that with, yeah. uh, you know, the perforated edges of dot yeah. matrix printer stuff. Yeah, exactly. Ima- imagine that. You'll say paper at- springs. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, imagine those as arms and legs for a weird cylindrical heartless. Well, is that his, yeah. his arms are, are distinctly zigzag paper. His legs are like two pieces of long strips. Each of them is like it's like the bones separate mm-hmm. halfway up the knee. And his head looks like five heads of shadows in black and red just stacked together in a little circular chest. Yep. And he, so, he carries around a couple big bowling pins and he throws them at you. Want to know the other reason why you want to get thunder early? Because really Trickmaster, because it, yeah. it, it hits from above. Yep. It hits from above, which means it's much better at hitting him than fire. And if you hit him with thunder, he is stunned, and he's very easy to take out. Now, the problem with Trickmaster is you fight him in the bizarre room, which can be a two-size if you fight him small. You have to hit him up near the heads, and you really can't jump that far when he's standing at his full height. Yep, your choices are jump up on the table, which occasionally he can smash to the ground and make it go away for about a couple minutes. Or you can knock him down with things like thunder, which I almost never have because I don't do the the Colosseum route for some reason. Well... Maybe you should should next time you play, if ever. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I might sometime in the future. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, once you get Trickmaster down, I think this turns out to be one of the weakest Disney worlds. Like they, oh, yeah. they barely well, even pretend to have a plot. Fortunately, our next world is a little bit better. I well, think. I mean, so there's well, one last thing that happens though when you beat Trickmaster. Oh, go ahead. You wake uh, up the doorknob. He's yawning at you because man, he's sleepy. Yep. And inside his mouth, there is a keyhole. Inside of the keyhole. Well, we don't even <laughs> see it. Like, he yeah. opens his mouth wide, so where it gets this, is this only his key, like it's yanked forward, shoots a laser's mouth, and you vaguely see a keyhole outline and a yep. clicking lock sound. And does the Navi Gummy pop out? Uh, yes. Yeah, so then a little piece pops out. It's a nice, colorful piece like your ship, and you're like, what's this? I think it's a gummy. What's it do? No. Yep. Yeah, it's a very unceremonious end to the world, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense or connect to anything. And to be clear, while some world have plot later, sequels to that, this is the end of Wonderland's plot. The queen, she's yelled at everyone to go find Alice, and that's the last you hear from her. She just sits there in her little court throne garden room, sulking for the rest of the time. And we won't see Alice again for a very long time. Let's leave it at that. Yep. Yep. Uh, Wonderland is mostly worthless in terms of plot now. And man, remember how much, imagine how much we much love this game that completely trashed the second major set piece of it. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't put the best foot forward, we'll say. Honestly, for, for me, like Kingdom Hearts 1 was okay, but I've always liked the Kingdom Hearts parts more of Kingdom Hearts than the Disney parts of oh, Kingdom same. Hearts. Same. I want, I want Kingdom Hearts to start, please. Please let Kingdom Hearts start. <laughs> Only several more hours. Oh my gosh, many more. <laughs> Um, but let's at least you know be a little friendlier here, and I yeah. think I would say if we go on the next world, we definitely have a much more positive feel there, even if it is very simple as well. Oh yeah. Well, they put a lot more money into this one because they actually got like a few voice actors, yep. and they actually made a little plot for this and some lines and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Next up is the Olympus Coliseum, which is the first one I go to, and you can either go back to Wonderland or you can just swing around and do Wonderland last after you get Cure from Deep Jungle. And while the name may make it sound self-evident, just point out this year is what we have is Disney's Hercules. Yep, yep. which was I, one of the more recent Disney movies at the time Kingdom Hearts 1 came out. Well, let's see. What year was Kingdom Hearts? Uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 was 2002. The original Hercules say- cartoon was 1997, so you're talking yeah, I was 10, say 10 it was years. Yeah, late so 90s. It's probably like the second, I would say... 
is probably one of the closest movies to the temporality of Kingdom Hearts. I can yep. think of only one other one that might be close. Hercules is probably by far the closest full world that we see. Yep, and it's actually the one that we're going to be visiting the most across the entire series. I liked Hercules at the time. Cause I was, you know, in my mid-teens or so when it came out, <laughs> dating myself a little bit. But, you, you know, I never got the feeling that it was one of the more beloved Disney films. Like, people liked it, but I, I never felt that it got, like, say, the fandom of Peter Pan or something like that. I, I like I was... it and respect it. Mm -hmm. But I do think in terms of fan reactions, definitely kind of a B tier. Yep. Sanitizing Greek mythology is a pretty tough thing to do. Well, yeah. and, and just what they do is they basically turn Herc into Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hercules is no longer a, you know, and even I remember even critics at the time making fun of it. No longer probably with fair. He's the very legitimate son of Zeus and Hera. We very much do not talk about any swans. There are no horny swans here. No, sir. <laughs> And that's not that's I forget mentioned that they, they decided for a villain. Let's pick the guy who really just has a bum rap Hades and let's just make him the devil. He's yep. the devil. Yep. He's got flaming hair. He's got big fangs. Sallow teeth. Tartarus is no longer just like a dower realm. It's a place where he's just this evil psycho blasting ghosts for fun. And he's voiced <laughs> by James Woods. <laughs> Uh, Appropriate. <laughs> I, I said, if anyone wants to skip that, anyone wants to skip that topic, please go ahead. James Woods is kind of a douchebag, I guess. Yeah, but he also, I guess, killed that role. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did really well in it. I'll say yep. that. I, you can't deny that the role they gave him of a big bombastic slightly fey coded character. I mean, I mm. I feel like he is acting a little bit. I don't know the right word for it. He's camp. Hades is pretty mm. camp. Is the word mm -hmm. I'm going to use. I mean, a lot of Disney villains kind of have that camp coding to them, but... That's one of the big criticisms that goes against older Disney films, that a lot of villains are outright queer coded. Yep. Part of that is because of the, what was it, the Hayes Code? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not. I, I, uh, it was the Hayes Code movie or comics. Either way. Well, um, whatever it was, it said that you could not depict uh, homosexual characters in a positive light, but that also meant you could, you could make your villains gay. <laughs> Mm. Hades isn't like quite, a, I wouldn't call Hades that far. He's very Vegas, is his term I would use there. He's bombastic, light, and goofy with, with his uh, mannerisms, but he kind of goes for spectacle rather than full camp. That's kind of why I'm struggling to describe him there. He's definitely there, but it's, it's more like he's a showman in many ways. Like, uh, if you want to go completely crazy, he'd almost describe Hades as a drag performer without any of the extra... <laughs> elements there. Is, is that, am I going over the line there? Because that's kind of what my, my brain ended up there. I would say that Hades is not as queer-coded as some of the the Disney villains that receive the most criticism, but mm -hmm. I do kind of see where you might think that he's the whole bombast and he kind of has like a little bit of a of a diva complex going at times. Well, I, I went like, the wrong word. Diva is much better. It's also kind of sad because, like, compare his design to, say, Zeus in, in Disney's Hercules, which is basically just like the Christian god. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, very, not just, well, not just the Christian god, is. but also the buff Christian god. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of what Zeus is. Zeus is yeah. a big man with flowing hair and beard wearing a toga. So mm -hmm. that's, if you think about it, he's kind of, the original Zeus is probably the informing of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But uh, the other gods like, are just kind of there. I mean, some yeah. of them you don't even know the name of. Like, uh, except for Hermes, who, uh, shoot. Don't the muses sing the opening number? Oh, yeah. The muses are great. <laughs> They're a, they are literally a Greek chorus, but I do enjoy them a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, they're a Greek yeah. chorus that also has a sort of gospel vibe to them, right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's Paul Schaefer, the guy from the David Letterman show. He was Hermes. I figured that one out. 
Oh boy. No, he's just this little. This anyway. little. Yeah. Well, like, actually, okay. I, that's a that's an interesting thing to think about because I never realized that. But I think there are a lot of themes in Disney's Hercule- Hercules about Christianizing Greek mythology. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting. They turned Titanomachy, the war where they overthrow their parents, into fighting off these big demonic monsters and locking them in hell. Some of the mm-hmm. elements are correct, but it's very, very different and very Western. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what is Olympus Colosseum in Kingdom Hearts like? <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a great big open sand field with pillars all around and several little of those Trinity marks that I still are shocked aren't Mickey Mouse heads. Yep. <laughs> so and then you walk these, into a tiny room with a trophy. Yep. The go Olympus ahead, Coliseum is the smallest Disney World in Kingdom Hearts 1, and it's also the one you're going to go to the most. It's uh, three screens. It is three screens, and it has more content than almost every level outside of one, some of the later ones. Because rather than just being a typical JRPG level like the other Disney worlds are, the Olympus Coliseum is, well, what it says on the tin. It's the Battle Coliseum. where It has a series of challenge trials, basically, that you can keep coming back to and completing more of them. Yeah. And Kingdom Hearts, what that breaks down to is you're going to fight several vaguely themed groups of enemies with cute names. Yep. But before you even get to do that, you have to talk to Phil first. (laughs) And Phil does not want to give you the time of day. Yeah, you walk in there, this little goat man, he's got Phil TD's trainer of heroes, is just in the corner muttering something. You walk up to him without even looking at him, he starts ordering you around, and he turns around, it's like, oh, a small kid, a duck, and a, I want to say dog, not the buff guy in armor I expected. Weird, I didn't check that. And he immediately <laughs> wants you to voice actor again? Or um, uh, the original voice was Danny DeVito. I'm almost certain it's not him in this, though so he's doing a decent impersonation. I was going to say, the original voice, I thought it was Danny DeVito, but I wasn't sure. Uh, his English VA is Robert Costanzo. I got to say, he's doing a good Danny DeVito, because believe me, that is a DeVito role, and he's all the way into it. He's using Yiddish slang like, like so, an average DeVito character. Robert Costanzo is said to often serve as a voice double for Danny DeVito, so there you go. <laughs> I believe it based on because like, he sounds he was, good for it. He was the voice actor that they got for Phil in the Hercules animated series as well, so that's probably why they tapped him <laughs> for this as well. Man, they made some of the they made some weird choices of series that turned into animated series. You know, there's Emperor's New Groove one. I did not. Was it good? Because <laughs> Emperor's New Groove. Well, was it great. had it had its couch gag, which always was Yzma and Croc going down their little ride from it, and there was always different things would happen. So figure nice. that out. <laughs> I mean, Emperor's I've New seen very is the best Disney it. movie to never make it into a Kingdom Hearts game. It's also one of the most tortured, uh, one of the most tortured productions in Disney history. But since it's not there, I just don't want to go too far into that topic. Yeah. So you mentioned great Disney stuff that never made it into a Kingdom Hearts game. I'm still very salty that there was never Disney's Robin Hood. Oh, man. World. That is like, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, and I get why you're saying it. The only old Disney movies that get into Kingdom Hearts are Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Snow White. Snow I guess White. Pinocchio, if you count. Pinocchio. The big ones. Dumbo ones appears that, as a summon. Bambi's a summon. But there's, like, no representation for Robin Hood. There's no representation for... The Jungle Renaissance Book. really gets the big push there, huh? Yeah. The Disney Renaissance. Yeah, and also Disney continues to uh, want to push more and more recent stuff with later Kingdom Hearts games. So basically, it's, Phil, yeah. as you said, Phil doesn't want to give you the time of day. He basically tells you gets to get out there. It's like, you guys ain't heroes. It's like, no. Well, or what, what is it? Three words, you guys ain't heroes or something like that? <laughs> I think he actually saves that after what he makes you do first. It's like, ah. he's, he's like, this term is only for heroes. Like, he's the hero. Don't, Goofy's like, but Sora's the hero recognized by the Keyblade. Yep. Good job keeping that world border. <laughs> yeah. In order to test out your hero-ness, you have to do a barrel smashing minigame. 
Oh, yes. We, we need to play barrel pinball. Yep. Point is, you're smashing these barrels, and when you, if you hit them with the final of your Keyblade composites of flying through the air, mm-hmm. so the trick is on the hard levels, you, you hit them into the, the groups further away. Yep. And you have to get it done in a certain amount of time. The first one is pretty easy to get it done in the right amount of time. The second mm-hmm. one is quite a bit harder. That's where you need to master the pinball skill. Yep. You need to basically, like, this is actually a little bit of a diegetic tutorial. It's trying to teach you a bit about angling your attacks a bit better. So you and do all that. Behave yeah, the yeah, same yeah. way. Yeah. You yep. apparently clear out Phil's leftover barrels from, I'm assuming, the party he had last week. And now you don't only want. It's like, that's great. Good job. You're not heroes. Go away. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> this yeah, is, that's just a screw job. Yep. This is where you would get the thunder spell, though. You technically only need to do this when you're doing what I do, which is you go in, do that, get thunder, then go back and do the other levels. But going on from there, you're not a hero, but the devil sure wants to let you into the tournament. <laughs> I mean, here's what we say about Sora. If, we, if there's one thing that's both a virtue and a flaw for Sora, is he's really, really willing to not judge people by their looks. Had the flaming-headed evil devil man snickering you from the shadows, I'll give him a chance. Yep. Seems legit. Well, he's like, Hades is also just sleazy enough to make it work. Like, yep. oh, yeah, I'm totally your friend, you know? He, he, he switches between carnival barker and used car salesman when he talks to people yep. and trying to go doing <laughs> it. You're just caught in his pattern. But here's the strangest thing. This is apparently a hero tournament. Hades has a invite, a ticket, mm-hmm. that Phil accepts as completely yep. legitimate. And apparently Final sure. Fantasy characters are also allowed in the tournament because oh, guess who's talking oh, wow. to Hades? <laughs> oh, that's a little bit later. Mm. You actually you go in there, you give Phil the ticket. He's like, you know, I know what I said, but I guess I have to bow to Ticketmaster. Yep. And then you remember this, this, in this tournament, this tournament for heroes, you now fight a bunch of Heartless. Yep. Apparently. <laughs> who gave them tickets? Probably Hades. <laughs> Was Hades the sponsor of this tournament and no one told us? Probably. I mean, every single entrant to these tournaments, other than like maybe uh, Leon and Yuffie later on, appear to be either Heartless or people that were brought here by Hades. So (laughs) Hades is probably the sponsor for the series of tournaments. (laughs) And I actually want to put a pin in this. The second game plays a really weird gag with this. So Mm -hmm. I want to put a pin in this for for many episodes later that it it, it revisits this in the weirdest way. Mm hmm. So you bash in through the Heartless. I recall the groups have kind of funny names here. I think I wrote down a couple. I did not write I mean, them down. Because, <laughs> like, when I get to the this the point in this, I am probably I will probably spend several hours trying to clear each tournament because, mm-hmm. especially on proud mode, because they are brutal on proud mode. I mean, how many how many fights are there in this one in this preliminary uh, the fir- tournament with no the name? First, first preliminary tournament is ten. Right. So basically, you fight a bunch of heartless, and partway through, you got Hades in the background there, and he's talking to well, as you said before, it's Cloud. Yeah, Cloud, it's Cloud in a really weird, in really weird goth outfit. Yeah, no, Cloud has apparently decided to take some fashion advice from Vincent, which shows a frightening indication of <laughs> Cloud's you know sense well, of judgment. And this like, is the one where he Cloud. has the pauldrons with the bolts sticking out of the pauldrons, right? Yep, and he's also he's got a big claw hand, a big claw hand. A cloak he's basically vincent but cloud <laughs> i think doesn't he have a wing yeah he has a he has a little devil wing and he's wrapped his sword in bandages yep he, i don't understand that one at all it's pretty clear from both context and hearing him talk that this cloud is nothing like the cloud from final fantasy 7 <laughs> it seems like he's also from the same place as leon as them there's yeah. some context later suggests that because Aerith knows him so basically hades goes to this spooky cloud like yeah you have to take care of that kid too you know, I was only hired to take care of the one guy. Yeah, we'll do this too anyways, and I'll grant your wish. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, like, Cloud was apparently hired to fight Hercules, which, I mean, 
So based on what we've seen, I mean, Cloud could probably take out a Dib God. Does he have any barrels? <laughs> <laughs> this Cloud knows Omni Slash. This Cloud does know Omni Slash. I don't know. I think this Cloud could take on could take on Hercules. But we never get to see that. I will say Hades, is, I think, is another example of what you're describing my animation. His it's and his animation is absolutely terrible. He flails around crazy and his face is pretty stiff. They're trying to give that idea of Disney animation, but they don't quite have the budget to do it all the time yet. Like he's he's kind of always stuck with a big grinning toothy face and occasionally it's like a sad frown. They do a lot better with him in the in the subsequent games. Like, what, does he have a texture face or a modeled one? That's I'm not, not really good at picking that he up. He has a texture yeah, face. So. Yeah, I think all the Disney villains have a textured face, except. And I, and I remember what episode. little they show of shadowing of him. It really struggles to show his fire hair right, but then the movie did that too. Like it would cast a shadow, like a, a translucent shadow. So that was always odd. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you fight Cloud, and can you win the fight with Cloud? Uh, I don't think you have to win the fight with Cloud, but eventually you do have to, you do have to fight Cerberus right afterwards. Yeah, if you fight Cloud and suddenly like Hades gets bored and sends out a giant three-headed dog. Yep, Cerberus is and, what I call the first hard fight in the game. Hercules catches him. He tells you to get out of there. And apparently you're dragging Cloud off to the side. So good job there. Mm-hmm. And then you're right back out there and Hercules is on the ground and Cerberus is about to eat him. Yep. Fortunately, like there's a little checkpoint right before this. So you can d- jump right back into the fight. Unfortunately, that means that every time you die, you have to do the cutscene skip. I think first time I was playing on proud mode, I must have skipped that cutscene 10 times because Cerberus is fucking brutal. Even not in crowd mode, in my original plays, this was the first boss to really give me a problem. Because basically, I mean, everyone knows what Cerberus looks like. The version of Disney is just this huge black dog with big, like, German Shepherd-type heads with giant teeth. But he's basically all one color. And the problem with Cerberus, you can only hit him in his heads. And he, both of his attack patterns, well, he has two or three major attack patterns, and most of them keep them away from your heads. Yep. Like, he rears up, hits a shockwave on the ground, at which point gouts of, I want to say, hellfire are going around. You have to either run or constantly dodge all around because they keep appearing below you. Yep. Occasionally, they'll shoot big meteor blasts at you. Yep. And his other attack is he just starts wildly attacking with, like, but he starts chomping. He stays yep. in one place, doesn't even turn, but it's hard to hit him without being in front of him. And you're in front of him. Those heads are a pretty fast pattern. It's smack into you. Donald will be on the ground. Yep. Donald, <laughs> Donald fully embraces his role as floor tank in this fight. And you don't have enough skills yet for, for Goofy's useful heals, probably. No, not yet. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but my fight was run around, run around. I sidle up next to him when he stops moving. Just kind of jump up and smack his head once or twice and land to the side. And just you can't do anything but that. It's very slow. You can get some extra speed out of doing good tech hits. You can knock his fireballs back at him to do some decent damage and gain some EXP. He does that little uh, trio of chomps. If you time your sword attack right, you can tech hit that and then get in for a few more hits. You can get on his back, which is probably the only safe spot in the entire arena. Yeah, but it's almost impossible to hit him from there. Yeah, that's true. But that's a good place to get to if you just want to, like, wait things out a little bit and try and find a good opening you jump ahead you might hit his head but it'll fling you off and like with the momentum and then you're in front of him and that's not a good place to be yep yeah you usually only want to be attacking from the sides he is really tough and the funny thing is he's the main thing of the toughness is once you know his patterns the most thing likely to kill you is impatience mm-hmm. because he's not too hard to dodge once you know a different pass but since unless you're really good with the tech kits and things like that you're only hitting him a couple times he has a lot of health mm-hmm. is, a, is what's going to kill you is you're going to try to reach in for a few more hits and suddenly pow he smashed you also I don't think you have a new keyblade yet at this point in the game nope yeah, I think the first keyblade you get is in the next world and the kingdom key well a fine okay choice during the early stages of the game is still not that great and if you haven't changed your path you don't have cure yet yep boy we're making this sound like a nightmare aren't we 
Yeah. That's just silent with fear. In the yeah, early maybe. game, you really do have to rely on the, the potions. Mm-hmm. I think we've covered most of it. Un- unfortunately, I think Olympus Coliseum is a... Is an interesting area in this in this game, but they don't do as much with it as they could. Yeah, it doesn't have much of a story because it's just a battle arena for fighting a machine regardless yeah. after this. Yeah, once once you finally beat Cerberus, you know, he's knocked down basically and feels like, okay, that's a good job. I'm gonna call you junior heroes. Sure you defeat a monster that there's only one of in the entire world that guards the entire underworld. That's good for that's good for, you know, grade one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So and he's not and there's no more tournaments for right now. And we haven't sealed the keyhole for this yet. But don't worry, we will do that. Well, we know game. what a keyhole is. <laughs> yeah. And as we leave, you know, her completely rips credit by going over to Phil. It's like, you know, I'm the one who beat up that dog first. They just beat the finish it off. It's like, yeah, OK, buddy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And Hades did. starts complaining about Hercules while Bellips is just staring at him. Yep. So the next place you'll probably end up going to is the deep jungle. Now, it's a place that's just clearly marked on the map, but as you approach it through the gummy ship... Cutscene. You get a small little kind of cutscene. It's more just dialogue boxes mm-hmm. where Donald and Sora decide to fight over control of the gummy ship. Basically, Sora's like, oh, another planet. Let's go there. And Donald... Donald decides that there's absolutely no reason to go to Deep Jungle. I think Donald's judgment is not discord. there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, fine. As you, the omniscient player of the game, knows this world is not going to be worth it but he basically <laughs> assumes that looking at a planet from up in space he can tell that the one person he's looking for and theoretically people the kids looking for whatever down doesn't give a crap mm-hmm. can't be there so let's just keep moving because yep. you know stopping in the place with with the hedge maze and the coliseum were clearly much more fruitful choices oh yeah absolutely yeah mm-hmm. donald and sora just decide to have a big old fight and the gummy ship crash the ship yep <laughs> It's way more fun intro to a world than either Wonderland or Olympus Coliseum, <laughs> even if like it I causes a lot of annoying complications. Yeah, to start with the start with Deep Jungle just at the moment, while it is still another world with its own plot, has very little connection there. It at least feels like it has a full story. It's the first yeah. world to really have a story, yep. for yeah. better or worse. Yeah, though. Because what Deep we are Jungle, in here now, we haven't mentioned is the 1999 Disney's Tarzan film, which is that's another one, one that's of those. Edgar Rice Burroughs ah. Estate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's the one that was more recent than Hercules. I knew there had to be one. Though. Yeah. But, yeah. And that uh, one, that one is another weird choice to me because this, I think, is actually one of the least popular Disney films out there. Of the ones that people consider, let's say, main Disney films, like we're not talking Home on the Range and Brother Bear here. For people, for <laughs> fans of those movies, I apologize, but people really do like to treat those ones as bomb of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Tarzan's kind of the low end of what we call the mainstream ones, and I will say a lot of that goes down to two words. Phil Collins? Can you guess? Got it in one. <laughs> a lot of people don't like... Phil Collins has a lot of people that like the crap on him. Mm-hmm. I don't really have an opinion, but you know it's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we have here Tarzan, which was another one. I've only seen Tarzan once. And for Disney, that's pretty rare for me. Mm-hmm. It is a movie that made some interesting choices, from what I recall. <laughs> but. I mean, I, I questioned the dreadlock look. Maybe, again, I don't know. Is that my place to say? It just seems strange there. There's a lot <laughs> of decisions that they made that are... Tree surfing. Yeah, they turn Tarzan into a surfer dude. And there's, I no get way, they there's no way of getting around it. That's what they do. Yeah. He's just he's just free soloing off these incredibly slick trees. Apparently his feet 
must be covered in the most horrifying splinters in existence or a, a thick layer of algae. What's your pick? <laughs> it's just Sonic the Hedgehog grinding. That's But he's that's not running, you know? He's, he's sliding. Not he's, not, he's, he's not even wearing shoes. He is on his bare feet sliding down <laughs> a tree. Ow. And these trees just have infinite up and down vines and yeah. loops and... And I'm sure they made it. I thought this is just a wonderful visual. And it is kind of fun to watch one or twice. I will say of the worlds, this is the first world to take an approximation of the movie's plot itself. But first, Sora wakes up alone in sort of a treehouse that looks like it was like half a crashed object, which it was. Yep. The treehouse was like what implied what Tarzan's parents lived in during the original Stranded Jungle before they were killed. Okay. So it's That's kind of a, it it's a it's a really it's a really distinct site there. He doesn't really go there much anymore. Mm-hmm. But I said that they were attacked and killed by the leopard and immediately jumps on your ass. Oh yeah, you have to fight a leopard. <laughs> yeah, actually I think it's not a leopard, it might be a jaguar. Eh. Oh, I'm bad with big cats. It is a big cat. <laughs> Leopards <laughs> have big... the rosettes. It's Sabor. It's Sabor. <laughs> Sabor, got it. And Sabor was the cat that killed Tarzan's parents in the movie. He fights and, and kills the leopard, I, I, whatever. I think like halfway through the movie, it's kind of like his rite of passage of man before they deal really with the human plots completely. Mm-hmm. All I know is that he is a recurring mini boss in Deep Jungle. Yeah. And really, he's just this cat that pounces on you repeatedly, has a slightly bigger health bar. Every time he appears, he's not that big of a threat. <laughs> So Sora, I think the ape man helps save Sora from the cat again. Mm-hmm. And he goes up to him and says, like, well, I'm looking for my friends. Donald and, nah, fuck those guys. Have you seen my friend Riku? <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> Almost Sora, that time. Yeah, Sora, Sora decides, fuck my, the people that are on my ride, and I'm just going to start looking for Riku on this deserted planet. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to give him fair. The la- and five minutes ago, those, that ride, they just crashed into this planet, almost killed him because the other guy was being a jerk about it. So This is true. This is true. <laughs> I'll give the teenagers some slack. And also Sora wants to find his boyfriend. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and Tarzan, who speaks in broken but understandable English up time, says, like, oh, I know where your friends are. They're in ape sound. I'm yep. not going to try and put it. Yep. <laughs> and so, yeah, Sora is completely convinced, oh, shit, Riku's here. If only this guy knew the one English word I needed. Damn it. Well, time to tree surf. Jump out of the uh, the treehouse to the ground, and you do a really quick tree surf out into an iron map. Yep. Meanwhile, Donald and Goofy get found by Clayton. Yeah, Clayton. Like, if, like, if you don't know the movie, imagine a big game hunter. You've imagined yep. Clayton. Mustache, pith helmet, yellow coat, big boots. Clayton is about bus. as stereotypical as it gets. He, like... Is there anything interesting about him in the movie? Because there's definitely not anything interesting about him in this game. Basically, the interesting thing is that this scientific expedition decided to hire the most bloodthirsty lunatic possible, who's really dis- – they have to tell him the first time, we're not here to shoot anything. I mean, I so, guess the most interesting thing about him is that he's voiced by Brian Blessed. <laughs> <laughs> he is the big hit game hunter trope through and through. Yeah. Is there a non-toxic version of the big game hunter trope at all? You ever seen Missing Link? Oh, yeah. Don't think so. Uh, there's well, plenty, that's, that that's Missing the Link, the villains are... Yeah, but he, he is built like a big game hunter, but he's like a gentleman adventurer instead. He has all the tropes of that when he doesn't kill things. He's an explorer and almost a biologist cataloging things. Yep. And you compare him to the other characters who he wants to emulate who are blatantly big game hunter British colonialists. Yeah, but Clayton, literally, he's supposed to be their guide, but he immediately starts talking about how great it's going to be to shoot gorillas in the movie and you're like no we're looking to study gorillas no shooting (laughs) almost that level but yeah if you know brian blessed the most bombastic voice in all of britain you get an idea of the way he's delivering the roles but he is not in the game i think clayton actually looking up there i think he is a character from the tarzan books weird tarzan's digital name is supposed to be john clayton too and there's another clayton who's kind of a usurper relative threat there so that's kind of where the name came from Mm. but he says this is this big guy salt and pepper sideburns, big mustache, big nose. 
mm-hmm. big British look there. He yeah. finds this 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 walking duck and dog and basically doesn't shoot them. Yeah, that is quite remarkable, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Especially because they're actually talking human language. <laughs> Only apes have a language you can't understand. They yeah. are a truly different creature. Yeah, exactly. Apes don't talk human. <laughs> <laughs> that means that everyone converges at Jane's tent. Tyler Sam brings in this funny kid he found to meet Jane, and then Clayton throws in these two weirdos he found. He's like, I found these things outside. Donald and Goofy, like, they grab each other's hands, yay! And then they go, oh, wait, we hate each other, and just yep. snub each other. Yep. <laughs> it's that exaggerated anime friend trip trope where arms, friends are, like, happy to see each other, and then they're arms, like, wait, shit, we're in a fight. <laughs> back to back, arms crossed, heads, like, noses up in the air, practically yep. like, hmm. Yep. It's the platonic version of the tsundere thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I haven't been going through the script and notes as much, but I just want to mention the second Tarzan brings this weird kid with the big shoes and the energy. Jane's like, oh, are you here to study the gorillas too? And actually Clay's book is like, highly doubtful. Bunch of clowns. No use for hunting gorillas. Like, no, we're not hunting them. So it just goes on and on. This version of Clayton is even funnier than the movie because he's not even pretending to have the veneer of civility and sure, I'll do what you say the movie goes with. He just, he's just, I have to shoot things. That is his entire reason for existence. Yep. Shooting things. Preferably gorillas. That's what he really wants to shoot is gorillas. Yeah, like I say, I guess ducks are just too messy. <laughs> also, like, I'm pretty sure the Final Fantasy world would object to that. I think yeah, in the movie okay. he is a little bit more complex, but in this one he's very much, uh, mm. I guess, flanderized into that I, into that well, role. I and, don't and agree with complex. I, I believe he's more intelligent. Like, he yeah. is blatantly ready to. I mean, by the end, I think it's implied he's just flat out a poacher, planning to take his fill of trophies. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end, he's perfectly willing to shoot down Tarzan because he's in his way. He, he still has the same motivations, just since he has to survive an hour of an hour and a half movie, because I think it's about how much he's in of it, roughly. Mm-hmm. He has to at least not be so crazy that no one could, could be near him for that long. Mm-hmm. In the original works, I think he's a little bit more like he hides it better. Yeah, Disney, whenever they adapt a work, they will usually take any character from that work and sort of, if a character is meant to be good, they make them really good. And if a character is not meant to be good, they make them really bad. As a, as a Clay and Just, he lives for the joy of the hunt. <laughs> the next thing that you have to do is you have to gather a bunch of slides around the camp. Yeah, like Jane's like, okay, so he, so I'm sure my friend somehow knows your friend who I've never heard of is, but he doesn't know the word. Let's show him random slides. Clayton yep. stomps out of the tent. He just goes out there and he guards the tea sets. He's like, let's get some fucking class in here. He's just standing in front of a tea set set up on a table outside the camp, which is kind of controlled chaos with stuff scattered everywhere and a few tents. So he just he doesn't want to deal with you at all. He just wants to be ready when there's damn tea ready. As I recall, they had the. Mrs. Potts and Chip adapted to a regular tea set for that movie. So that's the only appearance of something that looks like Mrs. Potts and Chip from Beauty and the Beast in Kingdom Hearts 1 is Clayton's tea set. So you're jumping around. You're, finding, you're just finding these slides here. And let's see. You show Tarzan, I think, a slide of dancing. It's just then, like, really it's, random 19th century photography. Yeah, like it's honestly just sort of like a weird little fetch quest to try before you go on to the next thing. Like I kind of don't like how the deep jungle world is paced. Because it's really messy. Let's talk about Deep Jungle. I describe Deep Jungle as not a chaos maze as much as it's sort of a long corridor. I would say it's a bit more of a chaos maze, but that's more just because it does the annoying thing about vertical levels where you can fall down to another section of the map. But the vertical section does not seem to have any real connection to where you're going down below. Unless you like learn where you're falling when you jump off a part of the upper area, 
you can end up in a part of the map that you did not intend to be in. True. Like, My view is just that, well, I see the falling as the accidental wrong exit. There are, like, normal exits that kind of walk you all the way from the treehouse to, like, a, a canyon, and mm-hmm. they all go one-to-one unless you fall. So that's kind of my description. Yeah, there's like three or four areas just going through the jungle canopy. Most of them you can fall down. And unfortunately with the camera controls in this game, it's pretty easy to fall. (laughs) And also like there's even a section where you have to go swinging from vines, which, hey, yeah, it's Tarzan level. Yeah, I'd like to swing from vines. That sounds fun. But can you implement it okay? I don't like the vine swinging very much. I always skipped give, the vine mm-hmm. swing. To give it its credit, Deep Jungle looks a lot better than the last two. Oh yeah, Deep like, Jungle actually perfect. looks good. It has the advantage of having a much more obscured box. Like it doesn't really have the clear the square sky box. There's yep. lots of trees and canopy. There's depth of field outside of where you can get to. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a step up there. But the platforming does the tricky part. When I was first playing this game, I got stuck on one part of the map because I forgot there were exits other than falling out of the canopy, so I couldn't find them. Mm. This world not only is bigger, it feels a lot bigger because of the fact that they got a lot more ambitious with the scale of the levels and yeah. the skyboxes are a lot more obscured. It feel it feels like, like you're more like you're in a jungle. Yeah, it, it's this but, is like the first mm-hmm. level that I, it feels like you start seeing sort of like the formula of semi-good Kingdom yeah. Hearts level. I'm not going to say but this is a good Kingdom Hearts level, but I'm saying that the formula for a good Kingdom Hearts level is there. The problem with this level is because they have this wide path, they make you run up and down it several times in pursuit of different objectives. Yeah. You're basically looping the level three or four times total, and it is long enough that that gets uh, irritating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that philosophy of level design will comes up a few other times later on in Kingdom Hearts that I, in other levels that I think are not that great. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we'll talk about them then. I do at least give this level some props of being definitely better looking than Wonderland and uh, Olympus Coliseum so far. If you had to bet... Would you say Wonderland was made last because these other worlds, like, they were made first and they had time to go back and fix them, but Wonderland, maybe they had less time? It probably did Olympus Coliseum first as sort of like the white box testing ground. You would basically use that as a, hey, we're going to test out our enemies in here. And it eventually just turned into the Olympus Coliseum. Then I would probably say that a bunch of the other levels were sort of, like, made together in sets. Uh, they probably had, like, a two or three designers working on each one, or maybe, like, a designer working on two or three. So that's probably a better split. Yeah. Slightly off topic, I suppose, but one of my pet peeves of never implement a prototype of any sort because in when you're programming anything, because it will always end up in production code every Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Well, I mean, so when you're making a video game, you generally do want to start with a prototype uh, and build from that. I think Deep Jungle is probably a good example of a vertical slice in Kingdom Hearts, though, where a lot of different things are happening in this one world. You have a lot of combat, you have a lot of platforming, you have a bit of vile puzzle solving, you have collections. It's a pretty basic Kingdom Hearts world. It introduces a lot of elements that are going to come up later in other levels in Kingdom Hearts 1 that are a lot better than it. I would say it raises the stakes, except that story ends up being completely disconnected. But that's endemic like, of Kingdom Hearts 1 because they didn't yeah. really know what they wanted to do with the Disney worlds yet. Yeah, yeah. If you have a theme for the Disney World, especially in 1, that theme would be let's do some stuff to waste time. So Disney worlds are either like let's do a soft retelling of the story, maybe involving hearts changed or something like that. Or let's just do whatever. I described my view. The second point is let's drop you in at one scene of the movie and just do something there and never shift it off. That's kind of what, even though it's not really part of the movie, that's what Coliseum kind of feels like. You're just like in a snapshot of it rather than like a little, a little. Well, like Olympus Coliseum takes place like in the training montage in the Hercules movie. Um, This is, this is kind of a getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but in, 
later games, they figure out a lot more what they want to do with the Disney world and start exploring themes that have to do with the overall theme of the Kingdom Hearts game in each world rather than just simply saying, oh, this is Disney, let's do what the Disney world does or just have some cameos. Yeah, that's very true. Especially, actually, with the portable games. Those ones do a lot better job connecting the Disney worlds to the themes of the story. Back to Deep Jungle, just like, so, so like, then we have to go all the way back up to the treehouse to talk to the apes. I don't remember if we have to get to the treehouse, but we're going up into the canopy. Here's where I got stuck. I, I couldn't figure out how to progress to the canopy because I'd forgotten where it had come from. There's a mini chaos maze within the canopy, so that's totally understandable. So you get these couple scenes where the gorillas see you, and they just sort of just, they just give you a cold shoulder walk off. So there is a moment where... I think we're supposed to see Tarzan. He's talking to them in presumably an ape language because he's suddenly speaking in perfect English for two lines. Yep. And, and that matches the movie where, like, he yeah. spoke fluent ape and that would be translated English. He's talking animals, but he also had broken English taught by Jane. So right. not explained, but I think that's what that is. Yeah, that's. I think that's what it is. <clears throat> then what? Clayton tries to shoot a gorilla while that's going on? Well, Clayton said, I'll come along and show you. My notes say, sure. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm totally not seeing all those bags for skins you have. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then no, then, then there's a gorilla. I think the model looks like the one that was played by Rosie O'Donnell in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and Clayton's about to shoot it just in the middle of the highway, and then Donald gets in his face. Yep, exactly. Like, oh my God, a duck. Basically, there's one thing we left off here. Donald actually is invested to be here again, and I was only adding this he's still completely selfish. Before Clayton picked him up, they found a gummy block, and they're sick shit as well. Who the hell else uses these horrible ships? The king must be here. Mm-hmm. And so Donald is being cooperative, but it's but he's still sulking at Sora, and he has his own extreme reason for it. Yep. Remember, Donald was ordered to stay with the guy with the keyblade, yep. but he's being so stubborn about being right, so sure that his search, that he's disregarding that because he's just being that damn petty. Donald is really in a shitty mood this world. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Donald is not a very good friend in this world. And so basically, but then he saves Clayton from shooting a, a gorilla. And Clayton, his 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 face animation, I assume, is mild because he is always grinning, and that's really yeah, he, awkward when he he's is, yelling at you. Yeah, Clayton's face is also a textured-on face rather than a modeled face. It's almost a rictus. <laughs> he's always got that grin, unless he's talking, in which case, like, you see the texture, like, blatantly changing on his face. <laughs> so they kick him out. Yep. For that. Yep. And he just stomps off complaining about how he's going to kill every blasted gorilla. Like, he's not five feet away from everyone. Yep. But two seconds later, that's no longer the problem because, well, something happens to him. Because this world is structured so weirdly, I don't remember exactly what the thing that causes the boss fight to ultimately happen. But eventually you will find him and he starts floating around it kind of goes uh, like this at you. first yeah. we skip the heartless here like uh how many types of heartless are there probably the only one that's really worth talking about is power wilds as the new ones <laughs> aren't aren't bouncy wilds also here a few yeah but they're yeah. the same thing yeah they're monkey heartless they're really cool i like them they're cute so what you see is you see basically once again we see clay and closing on a gorilla but this time you gotta fight him and he i think he's like looking weird and then yep. just halfway through the fight he lifts into the air yep <laughs> And as it, like Clayton has been so demeaned as a villain that he is now literally just the angle for an angler fish heartless type thing. All the stealth sneak, which is a chameleon. Yes, that is the sentence I just said. I think we skipped a chunk where Jane was in a cage or something, but I don't think it has anything to do with the plot. So, yeah, the plot sort of like goes to pieces after you go in between the treehouse and the fight with Clayton. Like Clayton floats. The wall behind him explodes like the stone explodes, like something crashes down on it or bursts yep. through it. Yep. Like you said, giant chameleon, the stealth sneak. Yep. Stealth sneak is a really cool boss fight. 
It is this way because because Clayton can't be knocked free of him. He's often riding it, but they can be knocked loose from each other. Mm-hmm. So Sneak runs around. He's invisible half the time, but he's just kind of a beatdown fight. You don't have to like reach up to him. And as I described, it's like I beat Sneak first, so then I just beat the crap out of Clayton. Yep, it's a bit harder on Proud Mode. It's not nearly as hard as Trickmaster or Cerberus. It's a fun brawl. <laughs> yep, it's an interesting idea, and it's your first time actually fighting a Disney villain. Even though, like, it's not heartless. actually fighting a Disney villain, it's a heartless. <laughs> but it's not supposed to be, it's, it's clear, Clayton is still a conscious human there. He's just being half-controlled, half-bonded with it. Like, he yeah. hasn't eaten him. That yeah. much is clear. Like, he's yeah. still alive, but he doesn't speak anymore. He stopped speaking entirely. Yep. I we think have. this is where we kind of get introduced to the concept of the Disney villains outright kind of working with the heartless Kinda. That gets that, that's, that, that's, yeah. That gets described a bit in just though. a second. First, the self sneak falls on Clayton, and that's it. Yep. So now we have a new area of the jungle to explore. Finally, it's a bunch of waterfalls the that are, throw you. Yeah, the gorillas yeah. throw you at it. Yep. Just pick you up and fling you through the air. It is an annoying waterfall section that I hate <sighs> navigating every single time I go through it. It's not it's even that like bad, it, but it's annoying. It's, it's like so it's, flat. It's like a two D maze, like a two D uh, platforming maze. It's really flat against a wall, and it's got very low ceilings, so you bump your head often. And the camera. Mm-hmm. And then you eventually find the cave of friendship is what we'll call it, because that's what Tarzan was talking about. <laughs> the cave it's of just friendship. This, <laughs> it's just this peaceful cave. And, and Tarzan's like, friends here, ape noise. Ching is like, oh, ape noise means heart. He means your friends are in your heart. What's the cave got to do with this? Well, the cave is also the heart of the world, because that's where you find the keyhole. Why did Tarzan know that? Uh-huh. <laughs> I just imagine just this moment, Jane goes, also, you're a duck and you're a dog. How did I miss that? Yeah. <laughs> like no one asked this these yeah. questions like this is another disney world that sort of like winds down weirdly because you mm-hmm. once again you seal a keyhole you get another navi g and you're not sure why and then the rosie o'donnell gorilla seems to flirt with donald briefly i think kind of right. just sort of like came up to him and, and, and all but sort of like pushed up to him slightly so yeah. <laughs> it's still something that's weird in the game <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. so you, this keyhole appears and you and you shoot a beam laser at it, and it and you hear a locking sound, and you don't know why any of this happens, but you seem happy with it. Yep, and you get another Navi G, and so then you decide to go back to Traverse Town because what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And I think you get do you get the Jungle King here? Uh, yeah, you get the Jungle King here. It's a the first, first the first keychain. <laughs> yeah, the first extra keychain that is actually really good. So the Keyblade has this weird little feature where if you put a new keychain on it, it completely changes its form. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I have a, I have a, I, I'm from Buffalo. I have a keychain that's a Buffalo wing. What would that do to a Keyblade? You, it would <laughs> give it a pepper spray effect. That's my guess. Oh God. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, I spray him with Frank's hot sauce. Wonderful. <laughs> Frank's red hot. Yep. Yeah. That's, um, that by the way, that'll be the, that is the name of the that is the name of your keyblade. If with it, <laughs> I would call. Oh, I would call it the, the anchor bar key. I would call it the anchor, the 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 bar anchor for the anchor bar where they were where wings were invented. Ah, okay. <laughs> and so, by the way, again, we skipped something because apparently we just don't want to talk about Donald this time. Yeah. He, both him and Sora are so touched by the friends are your heart that they make up at that. Yep. Yep. They do both. And then you get the cured. So. Yep. And, th- and now we get to check in with the villains right after that. <laughs> yep, we yeah. have Maleficent. Yeah, I, I try to remember who starts talking. There. I mean, Maleficent already was telling Hades it, he was kind of a moron. Isn't it Maleficent and Hook here in the sequence? Well, let's just go to the name. Oogie Boogie asks why, why the hunter had Heartless there. 
and I think it was Jafar who was saying, well, I think it was, I think it was actually Mufasa saying, or one of them, whatever, I can't remember. So it's like, well, the hunter was so dark, you lured him there, but he was just too tasty and not good enough at controlling it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, it's a weird situation. <laughs> we're watching this, you and not doing shit. In this next chunk of worlds, we're going to start getting to villains who actually know what the hell is going on. Most dangerous kind of villain. Yeah, Hades yes. did, but Hades is incredibly lazy and self-centered. He only wants to kill Hercules. He'll do other stuff if people if people ask him to, but he doesn't care. Yep. He seems like and he's he, clued he's clued in, but he doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's because he's a god. Mm-hmm. He's the god that like, you can't fight death because death eventually wins. So he's perfectly content to be picking his fights there, mm-hmm. and he just like if they offer him something useful, he'll listen. But then he loses interest. He's very easily bored. Yep. So that's also sort of like a little preview of what's coming next. Next, we're going to be dealing with villains that actually kind of know what's going on. But to even get to them, we have to go back to Traverse Town. We've run out of worlds, but got a new key item to show the Sid that someone suggested. Yep. Yep. So we show the Navi Gummy to Sid, and Sid decides that, do we need to find one more? This, this is sort of like the conclusion to the Traverse Town story. And so, like, yeah, it's, it's short, and, but it's also like the first time we really get to have Riku doing anything. In the story, this the story finally picks up a tiny bit yep. before it gets put down again. <laughs> yeah. I will say this is probably a good time to mention Merlin. Oh yeah. Basically, once Merlin you go back to Traverse Town, you can actually do this. You're, you're prompted to do this after you have one or two spells. I forget how many. Donald tells us like there's someone in Traverse Town who can help train us on magic. I believe. Mm-hmm. And Merlin's found. He's in Traverse Town. I want to say his area is an offshoot of the third district. Yeah. Offshoot of the third district, you have to use the fire spell to get there. There's this little underground cave with a lake in it, and the only way across the, the lake is these stepping stones that shift back and forth just enough to be annoying. Yep. <laughs> it's way less annoying once you get glide, but <laughs> that's quite a ways away. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so you go in there, it's an empty room, and then Merlin shows up from the from the sword in the stone. Yep. I think that's the one of the only instances of a what is that, like Silver Age Disney? Bronze Age Disney? <laughs> I what, what do you call that? What do you call that sort of cheaper age of Disney? Because like the Golden I mean, Age the was Disney all the early Renaissance. Stuff. The Disney Renaissance was the nineties. Right. No, that was eighty nine to ninety nine. Base. They really didn't have that. There's not as strong a delineation there. It's just mm-hmm. like the Renaissance is when things really rose again. Right. And things got rough. Like if you were to look at the movies, there, if Peter Pan was fifty three. Sleeping Beauty was 59. From that point in, things started getting a bit more prosaic. Sword and Stone, 63. Jungle Book, 67, which then was traced over to Animation Robin Hood, 73. And then you kind of got this the middling section from, from Winnie the Pooh, Rescuers, Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron. Wasn't Rescuers Don Bluth? It was Disney? Re- nope, Rescuers was Disney. Rescuers and Rescuers Down Under. Huh, I thought that was Don Bluth. Well, here's the thing. Bluth was one who worked on it. He was, yeah, he was okay. a, that was when he worked for Disney. Because remember, that's where he, Bluth started. Yeah, Bluth, <laughs> Bluth eventually broke off from Disney to do his own stuff because he was angry at how Disney was doing things. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Uh, I, I didn't actually know that bit of history of Don Bluth. It just seemed like I, I know both of those movies and those like... Hmm, those seem like Don Bluth movies, not they Disney do. movies. In 79, Bluth and a group of 10 other animations broke off to make their own studio. So there was kind of a, an exodus there. He, he worked on Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh, and Rescuers, and even did some of Pete's Dragon, which that's a crazy one. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had no idea he worked on Robin Hood. I guess that makes sense now that I think about it. I, I always thought, like, Don Bluth movies had, like, a certain something that 
made them interesting in a way that a lot of Disney in- movies were not. Which is interesting because Robin Hood is probably the cheapest, lowest budget movie they ever tried to make. I don't know if in true money, but in attempts, because a huge chunk of it is traced animation from Jungle Book. You can actually go back and like one-to-one it, the dances, the character designs, specific mm-hmm. motions. They trace chunks of it because they were so... So broke at that point. <laughs> Which is a shame. Because I know it's, if you're a fan with that, I, I'm certainly not going to criticize you, obviously. But Robin Hood's late in that decline period, and it is when they were really suffering. Mm. I really enjoyed that movie. I, that's all I can okay. say. I and mean, that's fine. Again, like, I've, I know exactly why. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a certain type of person where if they say that one of their favorite Disney movies is Robin Hood, I'm like, okay, you're a furry. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. Well, wow. it's kind of one of those things where, like, you know, a lot of people who are still kind of holding out as fans of Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're, <laughs> may, they, you, you're under suspicion, at least a little bit, right? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> if you're not a weird Christian, you're a furry if you're into Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, Merlin. <laughs> Dude. Not to go off the topic. This is the Merlin that spent most of the movie turning him and his friend into animals, but Yep. Yep. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why there, there's 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 definitely this. the trope of kids who were born in the seventies and eighties, like Disney made us furries. <laughs> well, Don Bluth helped, but yeah. you know. Oh dear, oh dear. All right. Uh, it's basically, he does his little bit, which I think is in a movie where he just has all his furniture dance out of his bag yep. in miniature and then just furnishes the house. Yep. That was, I think the animation riggers were proud of getting to imitate that. You can practice your spells in his house. I never if you're did. really struggling, you can because you really there's no benefit to it other than if you're struggling, you can have some fun working with it. And but, Merlin like, has real, a friend who's living with him. Yeah, the fairy godmother, the actual person that matters in this area because she unlocks yeah. summons for you. So why are they living together? Uh, <laughs> Both older people, no magic. Also, apparently, uh, also from warts. Final Fantasy, because like, aren't they Merlin's also in, Merlin's aren't they in also, Garden? Yeah, yeah, they they are uh, evacuees from Radiant Garden, aren't they? Well, not fairy godmother. Fairy godmother is from Cinderella. Ex- She's explicitly from a destroyed world. She's yes. like she's because she's there to help you with pieces of the story world. Those gems you pick up. Yep. Yeah. Fairy Godmother is not from Final Fantasy, but Merlin apparently is. <laughs> or he moved there on advantage. I mean, I yeah. feel like it's implied he helped teach certain characters magic. I forget yeah. which ones. Probably Leon. Do we get the Hundred Acre Wood here? Or is that? Oh, yes. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about it yet because the best way to, time to do the Hundred Acre Wood is when you have all the pages. <laughs> The Hundred Acre Wood is either a really schizophrenic series of mini games that you do every now and then, or you do it all at once and you actually finish it. <laughs> I think there's some plot indicating that Merlin was sent to Travis Town by Mickey. Maybe. I think I there's know. some plot saying that, but I'm not sure. But yeah, it also so basically the Hundred Acre Woods is there. If you go into Hundred if you go into Hundred Acre Woods now, there's nothing you do but talk to this vaguely cheerful bear, wondering when he's going to vanish into nothingness. Yeah, we yeah. should probably mention that the Hundred Acre Wood is a storybook world where yeah. Merlin just has the book, and he's like, "This is a magical book, and if you find pages, we can put together, say, we can revive his friend's world or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. in the book." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sort of like establishes a idea that worlds in Kingdom Hearts don't necessarily have to be other worlds within that. It can also be just like, oh, this book is a world. That's Mm -hmm. weird. (laughs) Like, and there are going to be other times where that kind of idea will crop up again in very weird ways, especially in Kingdom Hearts 2. But if you go into now, all you get is Pooh's there, but he can't remember anyone and just assumes he's going to disappear soon. And he's like, oh, it's nice meeting you. (laughs) 
Like, and that's freaky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Pooh is on some shit. If you go in to talk to him now, don't go in to talk to him now. We'll talk to him He's later. He's a little bit depressing. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> at, le- at least you don't you, you don't meet Eeyore yet. That would be like, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I've always liked Eeyore. Now. Eeyore was the only Disney character that made sense to me when I was a kid. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just saying, like, if you think Pooh was depressing at this point, Eeyore would be like, whoa. Yeah, I know. I guess I've been left alone, as expected. <laughs> Something like that. I can't do Thanks any voices. What you can do now is one thing we've gotten, we ignored, you've actually gotten some new Trinity marks. Like first we could, mm-hmm. what was the original one you can do? Red. And what's red let you do? I think it lets you break your barriers. No, because that's the one you get that lets you advance here and oh, right. you're back yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. A blue is first and blue basically blue just, is you all, like all three of you just jump. <laughs> yep. Blue is jump and you make a chest or make some odd items fall, something like that. But now you picked up charge, which is you, which Donald runs forward into something, and you have to smash into him, yep, it's obliterating a very, Donald and opening something. Yep, it's a very cartoony run into a wall to break stuffing open. It's great. So you do <laughs> it's it to break open. A, you do it to break open a great in the second world, and down there in his cave, unaccessible any other way, you find Leon already there. God damn it, he won't tell you how he gets anywhere. Nope, he will not. And Leon has some important shit to tell you. Him and Aerith. Yep. Like so, you found a keyhole. Well, yeah, what the hell's that? Yeah, a lot of important information happens in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, I feel like there's lack of confidence in the writing. Because here it goes like, well, what's the keyhole? The keyhole is a letter to the heart of the world. The heartless enter the keyhole and do something to the world. I think that's almost literally his line. Mm-hmm. And then the world is gone. Mm-hmm. The Final Fantasy characters don't really know much about the heartless other than one of oh. the people from their world was researching them. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. This is the first mention that be important. Yeah, they mentioned Ansem at this point, and that's the first time we hear the name of someone who is not a Disney character, not a Final Fantasy character, and not one of Sora's friends. Yep, Ansem turns out to be important, as you might expect. Yep. And anyone knows the game is laughing at our understatement, of course. But yes. all we hear now is like he was their king, a researcher, and he gathered, made a special report that helped learn all about the Heartless more than anyone else. Yep. They, do they give him the, uh, the honorific Ansem the Wise here? I don't think Ansem the Wise is a name that they give him in the first game. That is something that gotcha. starts happening in Kingdom Hearts 2. <laughs> gotcha. So, so, yeah. So, Aerith and Leon says, yes, those keys you randomly locked, that's a good thing. Keep doing the good thing. Yep. Keep doing the good thing. There's also maybe one in this town. <laughs> yeah. They end up they they end up here, I think, mentioning that, you know, the whole reason you're locking these is so that Heartless don't get into the heart of the world anymore or something yeah. like that. Yeah, do something. But, I mean, even if you seal up a keyhole, the Heartless still appear in the world. So what's up yeah. with that? <laughs> well, it's By just way, that they're, they're there. It's just that if they get into the heart of the world, the world might disappear like theirs did. I think. Like, Destiny, like Destiny Islands. There, but that door right. was open. The door We saw a keyhole on that door in the secret place. And when we came back there, it was open. So that's yeah. the implication. Yeah, I got it. Like, you can pass through the door. Like, people can. But that opens it to the Heartless. And then they just destroy it. Yep. If the door isn't locked, left to their own devices, the Heartless will eventually figure out a way to open it. It's a, well, they'll eventually find it, and then they'll just go through yeah. it. It's like a swarm yeah. of ants searching for food. Yeah. This is where Leon gives you the stone that you have to turn into Simba? Yes, and that phrase does make sense. Because remember, <laughs> remember Merlin's, Merlin's got, his, got his buddy with him, the fairy godmother, and she can restore pieces of destroyed worlds. Yep. Yep, so Kingdom Hearts 1 does not have a Lion King area, which many considered a shame at the time. But they do have the Simba summon. Simba is pretty strong. I was never very good at using summons. I feel no. like I, I, there was too much on the screen for me to track. That being said, I think the best summons are Bambi or Tinkerbell. 
but mm-hmm. Tinkerbell was my favorite, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. And I will say, this isn't just a game mechanic. We do discover later these summons have some level of personality or knowledge because we run into some of those characters later and they know you. Yep. They know yeah, no, they this, traveled with you. This is, a, this is a very important thing to get Simba as a summon here because it matters for the story when you get to the Lion King world in Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah, exactly. It's so it's kind of, I kept you in my pocket for 10 hours and never used you. Are you sure we're buddies? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because the implication with the summons is that if you get some kind of remnant of their world, you can call on them. Since their world is now completely gone and they didn't escape it at the time, their heart kind of exists and you can manifest it. And that's the explanation from the summon. They, they can't kind of like just exist independently anymore. I mean, this is this is its own little horror show if you want to think about it long enough. <laughs> so you get Simba. And then you go to Sid, Sid, because you got you got your funny gummy box to show Sid. And Luckily, it's it's a gummy box. Also, no, is uh, rather than a gummy box, it's actually a key to the next chapter. Yep, the Navi G's, and you need Navi G's in order to open up a portal to another part of the world, universe, universe. And we've been doing things out of order because Sid actually gives you Winnie the Pooh's book to get the Merle, and that's you do that. Oh, yes. That's okay. There's Sorry. a lot going on. Yeah, here. okay. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. There's a lot going on, but it's also kind of insubstantial apart from Riku showing up and then uh, complaining <laughs> about you having friends. <laughs> Basically, we're clearing the table and we're setting out some new materials, and then we have a bit of story. Because after you do all of this completely, Sora has a random vision of Kyrie talking to him when he's in Merlin's house. No one else sees it, so, you know, Sora's going crazy. Yay. And then after you leave Merlin's house, I think if only you could jump by a heartless and for once you're helpless. And, and then what happens? Riku shows up with, with a, a badass weird, sword. Yeah, with a really cool sword. I think it's a bat wing. <laughs> what is the name of that sword again? Uh, it has the absolute name you think it would have. I'm trying to think. Isn't it Chaos Eater or something like that? Yeah, it's not quite that. Um, Let's look. Soul Eater. You were very close. It is Soul Eater? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a That's fucking the- edgelord. That's the one with the eye in the base of it, right? Yep. Well, yeah, and it looks like a bat wing, and it plays the piano. Oh, wait, that's the wrong soul leader. <laughs> <laughs> the keyblade that he has, because it is also a keyblade. No, it is not. It, not oh, yet. it's not it a keyblade? Not. not yet. Yeah, we're jumping. It turns into one. I'll say that with, with spoilers again. Sorry about soul that. Soul leader itself that. is not a keyblade. It's but, just this weird yes, ass sword. But, just, it can, but it can kill Heartless. <laughs> yes. Oh, so can, but, so can Goofy Shield. Yep. Isn't this at, at this point we kind of learn that Riku gets like has like some kind of dark powers? All we know is he pops out of nowhere, slashes two heartlets in one shot. That's really all we yep. see of his ability. Yep. Gotcha. And then they, they, they slow burn. It's like he's like, hey, it's nice to see you. Like, I clearly I saved you. I'm the I'm the awesome. Like Riku's like, oh, hey, it's like so it's like, hey, have you met my new friends, Donald and Goofy? He's like, who are these guys? Like, it's like, oh, he's friends. I'd be looking for you and Kyrie. Uh huh. And he snatches the keyblade from you and looks it over. He's like, "Oh, this is a keyblade, huh?" And, when and then, you like, say snatches, is that the thing where he just reaches out and like no, so he takes, takes it. it he, or he, he just basically takes basically it. okay. it's off screen. Like 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 Donald's Goofy's talking about the keyblade, and suddenly Riku's holding. It's like, "Oh, this is a keyblade." And then he just basically plays holds it out of reach of Sora for a couple seconds. Like, yeah, come get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> And then he and throws it, like, it to Sora, and then suddenly Riku skulks off when you look away from a second. Because Donald's saying, I don't want to bring this guy with us, but Riku vanishes very suddenly. And frankly, huh. he seems kind of sullen. So yeah, then you go I over and we talk point, to the Final Fantasy guys. 
Yeah, I think at this point he kind of feels some kind of betrayal that, oh, Sora has new friends and he's not really working yeah. towards yeah. what he should be working at right now. That's well, the is, scene shows it nice and clearly, sort of subtly, and then five seconds later they throw it in your face. Yep. Because you go mm-hmm. talk to Final Fantasy guys, they ask you, have ever heard of Maleficent? And then Maleficent mm-hmm. shows up talking to Riku. <laughs> yeah. Like, Riku is, is outside the house looking at you guys, talking about Maleficent answers her for, and Maleficent's like, nobody likes you. Like, it's fucking Gollum. Yeah, I know. She yeah. basically shows up and says, like, your friend has abandoned you. He's found new friends. <laughs> While you toiled away trying to find your dear friends, he quite simply replaced you with some new companions. Evidently, now he values them far more than he does you. That's what she says. I just want to point out, the first thing Sora said to Riku is that he was looking for him, and he was looking for Kairi and Riku with these other guys' help. Yep, yep. But Riku, master of bad choices and being on his shit, seems to buy into her. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <nonsense>. <laughs> He's kind of being groomed by Maleficent, honestly. Yeah. Oh, but, God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, God. I, Can we change the definition there? I mean, she's manipulating him, like but, he, but she, he acts so willful, it really feels like he's totally believing this on his own, which makes him seem like the most petty, irritable, <laughs> untrustworthy, self-hating idiot in the world. Alternatively, it makes <laughs> him sound like a teenager. <laughs> okay, yeah, you said it faster than I did. Oh, God. We, we actually get listeners who are going to get angry responses from that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of Riku's bad decision-making, I can, I'm like, he is a very angry, horny teen. <laughs> And he doesn't know yes. who he's horny for, so it's confusing yeah, him. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. But I will say, Riku, here's something where I remember I wrote something very specific here. Oh, like, yes. Who am I to argue with the giant's green woman with demon horns? Why she is it with these horribly evil-looking people and people from Destiny Islands trusting them? I mean, <laughs> I will say this. She knows what's going on. No one else Kinda. does. And she's telling him what's going on. I, won't, <laughs> I don't know if I would say fully, but I do agree she's more on the ball than just about anyone else we've met so far. And so after all this... Uh, Riku drama, you are basically sent to go find another keyhole in the town, correct? Well, you're told we think it's involved the gizmo shop, and you yep. do try to find it. Uh, the gizmo shop. The gizmo shop has one of the most obnoxiously huge waves of enemies you can fight in the game. And the worst thing is you have to interact with several things outside of combat, and like I said, as long as there's enemies, you can't. Yep. And the gizmo shop is constantly spawning basically almost every type of heart you face. I think even the uh, the wild. You have to turn on something in District 3 by hitting with lightning as well, don't you? You might have to use a unity mark inside the shop as well. You just got to do all sorts of stuff yeah. to rotate the mural in the like the, uh, the, fountain. In the fountain that's yeah. across, basically across the alley from the gizmo shop. Like way yep. near and the you have to ring the bell one. as well. And you ring it, but when you ring it, you apparently piss something off because guard armor comes back. Do you fight guard armor first and then it turns into reverse armor? The opposite armor, actually. Opposite armor is... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is the guard armor, but everything is flipped reverse. He's done some Sentai transforming. His big feet have popped open the big chomping claws. He's standing on his fists. The head is yep. now sticking out of the wide part of the armor, so now it's a beam cannon. <clears throat> yep. He is a he is completely transformed. Everything is flipped over, and it is an even cooler version of the guard armor fight, which was already pretty cool. Because the parts mm-hmm. are way more independent. Yeah, they're flying yep. around. They're all over the place. They're hitting you harder. Like, if you get him down to his torso, he then starts blasting you with a laser rather than just being nearly helpless. And you just, you know, you, you beat him down. He's a lot like Gardner, but he's got those differences. And he's, it's just as very fun. And then he's gone, and the keyhole appears in the fountain. I don't think I have anything much more to add about that than that to that than that. Like, mm-hmm. I think everyone shows up and says, good job. You did that thing we couldn't do. We just sure like having you do stuff for us. Yep. <laughs> it starts to feel like after a while. Do you get another Navi-G from this? I don't think so. I think you I don't think you, you don't get the next Navi-G until you hit the second set of worlds. Okay. But you are able now to leave Traverse Town to go to the wormhole 
to go to the next set of worlds, which is what we'll do However, you don't have warp gummies, so you're traveling through all the levels in well, the gummy ship. So fortunately, the warps happen before you go to either of the next two worlds. There's a little wormhole that you basically uh, steer yourself left into and takes you off to the next set of worlds, which we will cover next time. <laughs> yeah, so I think that basically covers everything. Yeah, that's yep. that is the entire Ooh. first batch of worlds. It's episode a, one kind a of lot one, happens, but does anything really happen? It's both a lot of game time and very insubstantial story time. <laughs> I honestly think that when we start getting to later games, we will probably only be able to handle one, maybe two Disney oh, yeah. worlds in, yeah. in an episode. But in I this mean, one, because they're so sparse, we, we can do a bunch at a time. Yeah. I mean, think about it. The most story we talked about that wasn't just talking about the world was in Traverse Town, which is a map we've already explored. And you really don't do a ton in it. You just kind of run around and do some NPC check-ins. Now we got the wormholes to the next area. Which we will cover next week. <laughs> yep. We find a whole bunch of new Disney worlds that are still trying to waste our time. Yep. <laughs> They'll be doing a slightly better job of that. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they did better jobs in the second half of the Disney worlds, I think. Yep. Looking forward to talking about it. And so yep. until next time, remember, a good story is best when shared with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release.